Welcome to Have a Life Teaching, the podcast designed for educators who are dedicated to enhancing their teaching practice and creating a positive impact on their students' lives. In each episode, we'll dive deep into the world of education, exploring a wide range of topics related to curriculum, instruction, and assessment in K-12 schools. Together, we'll learn from the brightest minds in the education field. So if you're a passionate educator who's ready to take your teaching practice to the next level, join us as we explore the exciting world of education. My name is John Shimbari, signing in and saying, let's have a life teaching. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Have a Life Teaching. Post-COVID, I'm finding in my work that many people, many adults, but especially children, are struggling with their mental health, struggling with being positive. And so the topic of resiliency and, uh, and growth mindset and 21st century learning skills definitely is an important one, given the struggles that our young people are facing. So I was really excited to come upon a TED Talk. I think that's how I initially learned of my next guest, talking about resiliency, behavior change, and family engagement, which is the work that, that she does. So I'm really excited to be joined by Nicola Morgan, who is the CEO and founder of NSM Training and Consultancy, where she delivers trainings on a multitude of topics within education, teacher pedagogy, literacy, numeracy. She herself is, again, an expert in resiliency and behavior change. Nicola, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much, John. It's an absolute pleasure to be here today. It's worth getting up at 5.30 in the morning for Nicola. <laughs> I'm glad to know that. So, Nicola, how did behavior change and resiliency become an area of interest for you to the point where you wanted to dedicate yourself to doing this kind of work? I guess it all started really when I, I really wanted to make a difference. I didn't quite know what that difference was going to be. And I ended up going into education, trained as a teacher. And it kind of panned out into what I'm doing today. But I think for me personally, being someone who over the years, especially as a little one, has always struggled with reading and writing, despite the fact I've had over 10 books published with big publishing companies, I've always really struggled in that area. But I've always held on to this kind of question, which is this, why not me? Okay, I can't read very well, I can't write very well, but why not me? Why can't I write that book? Why not me? Why can't I swim the English Channel, even though I can just swim a few lengths of a swimming pool? Why not me? And I thought, if I'm achieving these things with a very minute skill set that I have, then my gosh, I can get out there and start really empowering children to have that self-belief, ask that question, why not me, gather the right resources and achieve whatever it is they want to achieve. Doesn't have to be anything big, it can be something small, but it doesn't matter. It comes down to that question, why not me? It also gets to what another guest and I were talking about recently that uh, by the time this episode airs, that episode will also have aired. And that's about feeling like an imposter and getting over those imposter syndrome uh, and syndrome symptoms that many of us have before we try anything. 
You know, I think I think we can be our own worst self enemies or, you know, where we say, well, I can't do that or that's not me. So so I'm really excited to get into this topic of of how we do support our students to answer that question in the affirmative. Why not me? Because you can and you should and you will. Right. Uh, now, I know why I would not swing swim the English Channel, and that's because there are sharks. That's why it's not me. But that's not you. And I'm going to go off script a little bit and ask the, the question because I have to, because I know that the listeners would really be interested. You did indeed succeed in swimming the English Channel. What prompted that, Nicola? And I know this is a broad question, but what was that experience like? Oh, it was an experience, let me tell you, John. But the thing is, although I decided one year, I think it was going back in 2016, and I thought, I want to do something. I want to do something that's way out of my skill set. And also, because I started delving into the areas of mindset and resilience and talking to professionals, just like the ones that are probably going to be listening to this podcast, is that in order for me to stand up and talk about this subject, I need to stretch myself. I need to experience it myself. So back in 2016, I thought, you know what? It's always been on my bucket list. Crazy thing, because like I said, just about swim a few lengths of a pool. And I thought, yeah, why not me? I'm going to swim the English Channel. Well, you can imagine, John, it didn't go well. <laughs> okay, it really didn't go well. And I was in the water for about 14 and a half hours. And then the pilot of the boat decided because of the onset of hypothermia and it was very dangerous I was stuck in a current for two hours that the only thing that they could do is to pull me out but when I got out and I got on that boat the pilot said something very interesting to me which I also mentioned in my TED talk and it's actually the title of my TED talk and he said this he said hey listen Nick don't worry about it this is what we call unfinished business and I sat back and I thought yeah you're right I'm going to get back in and do it again. Not at that moment, okay? I wasn't in any fit state at that moment. But I went away and I thought, I love that term, unfinished business. It's not failure. It's reframing failure. And failure is good, okay? We have to fail. Fail hard, fail fast. But it's that term, unfinished business. And I always like to take that into schools as a UFB. You know, what's your UFB? You know, this get it out, this look at it, this reframe it, and this give it another go. And in 2019, I jumped back in. I didn't actually jump in. I just stepped in (laughs) in a very cowardly way because it was pitch black. And, And I thought, right, this is it, Nick. You gathered your resources. You've spoken to the experts, the people who can do this and have done it. This is your opportunity. And I got in and it was tough. It was hard. And I think the hardest thing for me, and and I'm going to mention a strategy here as well that I take into schools. The hardest bit for me was the first two hours because it was dark. It was cold. I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. And going back to to your kind of uh, term there that you were saying about all the sharks. Well, (laughs) I don't know if there were sharks there, but what I do know is that I had the theme music to Jaws playing in my head left, right, and center, (laughs) I wasn't in a good place. And I had this little voice in my head, our inner voice, the one that's mentioned in the book, The Chimp Paradox and Carol Dweck's uh, book on mindset, that inner voice that kept on saying to me, get out, 
get out, get on that boat. And as soon as you touch that boat, you're disqualified for a channel swim. And if anybody sees the film Nyad with Diane Nyad, you know, it says the same thing. You touch anything, it disqualifies you. Mm. And this little voice was going over and over again, get out, you're such a stupid woman. What are you doing this for? You can't even swim properly. But then I silenced the voice by delaying the urge to give up by saying this. That's okay, Nick. You can get out. You can get on that boat. That's fine. But not right now. You can get out in a few hours' time when the sun comes up. And my little voice in my head thought, do you know, I can do that. I can do a few more hours. That's fine. And I delayed the urge. And, of course, as soon as that sun came up and I, my body started to get a little bit warmer, just a tiny bit warmer, <laughs> I thought, well, hey, this girl I can do it. And that's a strategy that I always take in to children. That is, look, you're going to want to give up. That's fine. But just delay it for a few seconds, a few minutes, a few hours, a few days, a few weeks. It doesn't matter. Just delay it because it's so easy to give up when things are not going our way. Right. And we're definitely going to get into, and I hope we get into, talking about some strategies that educators can use to help students to persevere. One other question about the English channel before we move on to that, because I, again, I have to ask, I'm just fascinated because I will never do this. Fascinated, but it will never be on my bucket list for the reasons I mentioned, like big sea urchins and things like that. But what did you learn? Because I think you did it twice, right? You, 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 yeah. you did two attempts and you were successful on the second attempt. What did you learn? You said that you learned from that failure the first time. What did you learn that first time that helped you succeed the second time? Uh, maybe it was indeed this, this mental mind shift that you were just discussing, but what are some of the practical things you also learned the first time that helped you succeed? Do you know, there were so many, but I think the biggest one for me is really based on the fact that life is hard. Don't try to make it easy. It's hard. And I think it's about choosing your heart. You either choose your heart right now, you get your head down, like with the children, you know, get your head down, start studying, and then you reap the rewards after. Or you take the easy road now, but you reap the hard later. And during that channel swim, I always remember um, my one of my crew members, who's also my business partner, uh, and uh, and I was swimming and I was being sick and the usual thing, my eye was swelling up. Oh, I looked awful. And I kept on stopping and saying, I've just been sick. And all she shouted back to me was, good, keep swimming. <laughs> and I thought, okay, I'm going to try. I'm really hungry. Good. Now keep swimming. And in the end, I was like, I think I need to get on the boat. And she said to me, she goes, Nick, you knew this was going to be hard. You knew it was going to be tough. So stop complaining. Get your head down and keep on swimming. And I think that's the thing that we, you know, it's about that. Okay, we know it's going to be hard. Let's just keep going. Let's stay on that bus. Let's keep going because things will change. Winter never follows winter. Things will get better. Mm. And I think that was one of the main things for me. The other thing, John, interestingly, was visualization. Mm. 
Now, before I did my second channel swim attempt, I visualized. I visualized how I, because I'm the only one who can control me, that this is, I only have control over me, nothing else, how I would deal with getting stung by jellyfish, how I would deal with a cold, how I would deal with swallowing seawater, and also visualize how I would feel stepping on the coast in France. And I did an awful lot of visualization. So I'd already swum the channel multiple times in my head. So doing it, you know, right there on that particular day was relatively okay. It was still tough, but the visualization definitely helped me. And I, I've spoken to a few teachers over the years and I've talked about visualization. And interestingly, one music teacher said to me, she goes, Nick, she goes, that's exactly what I get the children to do. If they can't hit the high notes, I get them to visualize hitting the high note. And guess what? Then they're able to hit the high note. What, I, I, love, yeah, what I love about that, Nicola, is the connection, like you were just saying, to teaching, where you you we can totally work with teachers, or I'm, I'm sure you do work with teachers around visualizing for students the positive. What's the best thing that can happen here? I want you to visualize what success looks like. Because even in my work with other adults, in terms of the way they teach, I often will ask educators, what would success look like? Or what does success look like for our partnership? But another thing you said that I thought was really interesting is you also visualized all the things that could go wrong. And if, if our educators get uh, students thinking about, okay, what's the worst thing that could happen here? Well, what can you do to try to prepare for that? Now, we can't prepare for everything that's going to happen. As you said, life is hard. But we could prepare for some things. And getting our students to do that mental analysis as they're engaging in work is definitely a 21st century life skill that they could be using throughout their lives. That in mind, why should others care about teaching students resiliency? I mean, I know I kind of just sort of answered my own question, but I would love to hear your thoughts on that. I think resilience is key. I think it's the bedrock. Even when I talk about behavior management and behavior change, I really do feel that resilience really does give us that solid platform. Because the thing is, it, it is when we look at resilience, we look at lots of definitions around resilience. It, it really is the process and outcome to successfully adapt to difficult or challenging situations. Now, these are facing us every single day. Now, although I'm kind of highlighting that, I am going to give a strategy a little bit later regarding that as well. That's focusing more on the positives. But when we kind of pull it down, resilience as well, developing resilience, not just in children and young people, but also in adults as well can help them manage stress, anxiety, and certainty. Okay, those three things. Those are the three key things there. Stress, absolutely, with our students, especially those now that are progressing and they're going to go on to do exams or job interviews or whatever it may be. There's a lot of stress attached to that and the anxiety and the uncertainty. Now, we can't control everything, and that's the bad news. We can't control a lot of things. But what we can control is the way we respond to things. 
And a good indication to me about are we in control, is our child in control or not in control, is what I call the two R's. Are they reacting to a situation or are they responding to a situation? Now, the more we can help them to respond to a situation, we know that they're taking control of their feelings and their emotions. It, it, it's as simple as this, really. We can't control the weather, but we can control our response towards the weather, our attitude towards the weather, our inner voice towards the weather. That's what we can control. And I and I think it's really important when we're working with children and young people. And I always do two circles. If you draw a big circle and a smaller circle in the middle and in the big cir circle, we put things I can't control. And in the little circle in the middle, things I can control. And sometimes it's a really nice exercise to do that with them. And just to think, what is in your world right now that you can't control, but also what is in your world that you can control? And it's the stuff that we can control that we want to get them focused in on. So then Nicola, when you work with teachers, how do you coach teachers to get students to see or to visualize what they can control and what they can't control and to respond as opposed to react? When, when I'm working and I'm delivering training for teachers, one thing I, oh, well, two things I get them to do. Number one, reflect on your own levels of resilience. Okay, where you are with the, the stuff that you're, you're able to deal with and maybe situations that you didn't deal with and stressed you out a little bit. But we need to have that element of awareness of where we're actually at. But more importantly, I always say your starting point needs to be doing an assessment on finding out the levels of resilience that children and young people that you're working with are already at. We, we need to get that baseline because the thing is, uh, and uh, Edith Grottenberg, who did a lot of research around resilience, like she said, you need to have a balance between all the key areas of resilience. If you're low in one, you're deemed, according to her research, not to be as resilient. So we need to get a baseline about where these children are actually at. Now, we're very good, and I'm sure you guys can access it from, a, from where you are um, in the States is it's called the CYRM and it's the Child um, and Youth Resilience Measure. So it's the CYRM. And if you just Google CYRM Resilience Assessment Tool, it will come up. Now, there's others out there, but this is the one that I tend to use. It's a very, very straightforward assessment and it will give that baseline to where they're at. Now, once we establish where they're at, now we can start to balance them out. So if they're low um, in a key area, we can start to pick them up a little bit. Now, then when we're looking at these key areas, we can kind of base them on the six domains of resilience. And they are as follows. And I'd like to give you a few strategies around these as well. The first one is making sure that they have a secure base. The next one, good enough education. The next one, good enough friendship. The next one, to, to really kind of pull out their talents and their interests. The, uh, number five, then we're looking at about social competencies and number six, about positive values. So those six key areas there by the domains of resilience can really help after we do the assessment to work out, are they low on this? Are they high on that? What do we need to do? Now, friendship groups is a nice straightforward one if they are low on friendship groups. But let me pull out a few more strategies here. Let's have a look at secure base. 
we all need a secure base. We all need people around us having that sense of belonging. Now, whenever we're talking about resilience, we tend to mention the word belonging, and it is vitally important, especially with, um, you know, COVID that went and that uncertainty around there and the disjointedness of maybe friendship groups and so on. So that sense of belonging we need to bring in now to our school environment. But the question is, how do we actually achieve that? And what I always say to staff is go on a walk around your school and ask yourself the question, do I feel that I belong here? Do I feel that I'm being included? Are people passing me in the corridor and kind of giving me the thumbs up or giving me a wave or asking how I am? Is that that sense of belonging there? And if there is, great. And if there isn't, let's do something about it. But a really nice way as well to add to this sense of belonging is to get our champions, our adult champions within the school that are basically championing one particular child and especially that child that may be deemed a little bit vulnerable. That they are celebrating all their achievements, small and big, that they're there for them, that if they're off from school, they're checking in with them the following day or they're seeing them at the school gate. These champions are vital. But I'm going to put a little spin on this now, John. Most of the schools I work with actually allocated an adult champion to the child. But I like to do it in a different way. I like to get that child to select three to five of the people that they want to nice. be their champions. Because now we're delving into Dr. Bruce Perry's work about those relational approaches, which are absolutely key. I connect with you. So if I connect with you, I'm going to be able to go to you more freely if I've got a challenge, if I've got a concern, and I'm more likely to take on your advice and your support. I love the idea of the student choosing the mentor, so to speak, or the, the guide, because to your point, if I don't have a connection with the person who's quote unquote assigned to me, it also, it takes away my agency, right? And resiliency is all about agency. So why would we, if using your example, why would we assign someone to be the adult carer if the students themselves can choose that person? What else would you recommend? Are there any, are there any other strategies you would recommend for schools to to build up that resiliency of their students? Yeah, definitely. I, I, I would definitely, with the belonging, that sense of belonging, that secure base, this bring in another one now about really highlighting their talents and interests. Because by doing that, what we're doing here is we're creating a sense of purpose. Every single human being on the face of this planet needs to know they're good at something that this is what I'm good at. But now I'm going to generalize now when I say this, but we get some children and young people that their purpose is being the class clown or joining an unsavory group after school hours. That's not what we want. That That's the negative stuff. We want to pull them towards the positive stuff. Now, a good uh, friend of mine, and she's written quite a number of books called The Talk About Series. Her name's Alex Kelly. And she gave me a really, really good strategy for this one. And I loved it. And you mentioned about family engagement. We can pull this into family engagement or we can just reframe it slightly and pull it into our school working life. And it is this to help children and um, feel that sense of belonging and feel that sense of purpose, have two photographs of them on their bedside table. One photo shows I am loved. 
And the other photo shows I am good at something. So it could be that I am loved because I'm surrounded by my family or my pets or my other half or whatever it may be. And then that sense of purpose then about I am good at something could be them holding up a trophy from soccer or whatever sport that they're playing in. So the first thing they see when they wake up in the morning is I am loved and I am good at something. And the last thing they see at night is I am loved and I am good at something. And the other one that I would pull in here as well, um, when we're looking at those, the, the kind of six domains of the social competencies, is encourage them to make choices. Why? Well, because choices develop good decision makers and also help in the problem solving process. And we spoke earlier about life being hard, life being tough. We are problem solving every single day and we've got to make decisions every single day. I think for teachers, I think it was on average over a thousand decisions that's made during the day. It's just crazy, isn't it? But if we start encouraging children to make choices, then they start seeing the world in a different way. They don't see it that, oh, this is the only road. They see it as, ah, now I have options. I have different choices here. So what that is doing again is coming back to give them, giving them that sense of control. So they're able to respond rather than to react. And when we're working with little ones, and especially if we're transferring strategies to parents, it could be something as simple as this. Sweetheart, would you like to put on your green top, your red top or your yellow top this morning? Oh, the red top, rather than saying you need to get dressed. So, so modeling choices like that. And in a school context, it could be something as simple as, Ryan, you know your piece of work needs to be finished before break time. Do you want to do it on your own? Would you like me to sit next to you and help you? Or is there another way you can think of to get this piece of work done? The more we start modeling choices, the more they'll start seeing that actually there's more way of achieving this. What have been one or two examples of schools that you have worked with that have really knocked student agency out of the park? Like what was so brilliant or so great about these schools? You don't need to mention names unless you want to, because it's positive. But again, what were the characteristics of those schools? And what were some of the initiatives that they put into place that, that really just made them stand out? Well, I think it's definitely giving them back the responsibility, student voice, student participation, absolutely right at the top there. And not just your typical children coming forward to fit into that category, but the ones that maybe are struggling to use their voice is giving them that opportunity as well. But I think one of the biggest ones for me is this. And that is providing a culture, not just for children and young people, but also for staff a culture that there's no failure, there's only feedback. Mm -hmm. And in, as part of that is the ability to feel safe to make mistakes. Now, not sloppy mistakes, and not mistakes as using them as an excuse, constructive mistakes. And this is vitally important because I think, and especially with me growing up, it was like, oh my gosh, I can't make a mistake. I don't want to make a mistake. So if my parents find out I've made a mistake, you know, is this, this just going to be arguments at home? But it's good to make mistakes. If we don't make mistakes, we're not going to learn. And we have to learn. We have to experiment. And uh, and I'm going to throw this one out here now to all your listeners, because this is a really, really lovely one. 
that I've used up and down the UK with with families and also in schools as well, whether you want to do it as a um, at home project or an in-school project. And I've seen some amazing displays done from it also. And that is this. But before I give you the answer, I'm going to ask you this question. Okay. So what do, what do all these products have in common? Post-it notes, Coca-Cola, chocolate chip cookie, WD-40, Slinky. They're all the result of making mistakes. Ah. Now, WD-40, the, the, the answer is in the title. It took 40 attempts to get it right. Coca-Cola was meant for medicinal purposes. It ended up being our top selling soft drink brand globally, which is incredible. Post-it notes, that was an adhesive created by 3M, but it went wrong. It was a very weak adhesive, but they applied it to post-it notes. Chocolate chip cookie was meant to go in the oven and the chocolate was meant to melt. It never happened. And the slinky, John, I have no idea. Yeah, but it looks damn good when you push it down the stairs but they're all the result of mistakes penicillin is a mistake microwave oven is the result of a mistake so what i tend to do is pose the question to the children and to the families that if we didn't make mistakes would we have all this stuff around us today no it's likely no we wouldn't they're all the result of mistakes mistakes are good mistakes get us from a to b I think the example you just gave is also an example that really will appeal to students because they themselves are familiar with some of those products and that they consume them. So it really shows them how in real life we're on a journey. It's really about that journey rather than necessarily the end product. Nicola, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want our listeners to know about resiliency and change of perception. Yes, I'd like to add this one in. And this is this is a strategy I use every single evening. And it's a strategy taken from the work of doc, Dr. Martin Seligman um, in his 1995 research study. And remember earlier I said, life is hard. You know, we've got our challenges. And it sounded as if I was kind of beaming in to the hardness and the challenges. No, not with this strategy that I'm going to give now. And what he said was this. Get children, young people, ourselves as well, every evening to focus in on three things that have put a smile on our face. Made us laugh. Okay, made us happy. Just three things. And we do that every single day. So what we can do in school is that if we're having check-ins with these children, we can get them right. What's the one thing that's put a smile on your face so far today? Get them to focus in on the good stuff. Because effect, you know, resilient people at the end of the day, they know there's negative stuff there, but they choose to focus in on the positives. And that's what we want them to do. Because the brain is a deletion system and it's deleting information every second of the day. But when we tell our brain, that's what put a smile on my face, the brain's going to hold on to that. So now we're not seeing so much the negative stuff. We're seeing the positive stuff. We're being more optimistic about the future and about our life. And we're enjoying every day, which is developing resilience as well. So that would be it. I think my, my kind of last tip or strategy there is get the children, get yourself to focus on three good things that have happened to them throughout the day and keep doing it because it makes a, a massive difference to the way that we see life. 
Very quickly on that note, what strategies, and I know this might be a long conversation, so maybe one or two if you want, what are some strategies you would recommend for teachers to develop their resiliency? Well, I'm going to poach a TED talk now to do this one. Okay. Uh -huh. And that TED talk is um, uh, from a wonderful lady called Lucy Home. And her TED talk is on three traits of resilient people. Well worth a watch. Okay. Uh, of course, you've got to watch mine as well, which is unfinished. Unfinished business delaying the urge to give up. Don't remember to what you know, don't forget to watch <laughs> mine. So her three traits go like this. Number one, which comes into the Dr. Martin Seligman's work. So number one, resilient people get that there's negative stuff there and there's positive stuff there, but they choose to focus in on the positive. Trait number two, resilient people do not play victim. They don't say, oh, this is always happening to me. Why is this happening to me right now? No, they say, why is this happening for me or why not me? And the last one is, and I want to kind of go into this one in a little bit more detail, is when you're doing something, resilient people ask themselves two questions. Is what I'm doing hurting me or helping me? And if it's hurting me, I need to change it. Now then, let's bring this back to day-to-day -day life now as being a teacher in school. Sometimes we're asked to do things. Like, can you do the photocopying? Can you make that phone call? Can you help me with this? Can you do that? And we are, we are, well, I'm talking about myself, a people pleaser. So the natural thing is, yes, I'll do that. But the thing is, when we reflect back, actually, that decision is hurting me because it's stressing me. I'm anxious because my work is building up. So that's what we've got to think about here. We've got to prepare. And I use the term predict in order to prevent that if somebody asks me something that I know is going to be in the category of hurting me, I'm going to say something like, John, I would love to help you if I've got time right at the end of the day. When I finish all my work, I will definitely get it done. But if you do need it done now, you're probably better asking someone else. So it's a bit of a partial agreement, but we need to prepare ourselves with these kind of stock responses to give us that little bit of scaffolding to help us on our way. Nicola, can you tell us a little bit more about where you are and where people can find out more about you and your work? Well, if you go on to the website, nsmtc.co.uk, so that's um, NSM Training and Consultancy, so nsmtc.co.uk, you, you'll find me there. Um, you'll find all our training courses there as well, which is great. Also, if you go on to nicolasmorgan.com, you'll see then that I deliver a lot of keynotes at conferences um, on resilience and behavior and subjects around that particular area. And you can also check me out on LinkedIn, which is Nicola S. Morgan. Nicola, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciated our time together. Thank you so much, John. It's been absolutely wonderful. And I love to connect with your audience in the States. So as they say in Wales, diolch and iawn. And you'll have to Google Translate that one, okay, to find yeah, out what I, it means. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that was a hard one for me. <laughs> but that's okay. That's okay. I, I will look it up. So thanks again, Nicola. Thanks, John. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening today. I hope you got some great tips that you can bring back into your teaching. Remember, have a life teaching without sacrificing your own. Also, don't forget to subscribe and be well.